The nail in the coffin! A Cleveland sports podcast. I'm Tom Valentino. He is still Travis Yuley. It's Wednesday night, and uh, Trav, it's been a minute for us, man. How you been? It has. I remain Travis Yuley. <laughs> that now and forever, right? Mean. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you uh, you've been getting ready to move. I've been traveling here, there, and everywhere. It's been uh, a pretty weird August. Yeah, you're uh, you're bee bopping and scatting all over the place, aren't you? <laughs> That's. That's exactly right, but uh, I'm finally uh, back at uh, World Headquarters here. It's good to get settled in, finally do this again, and we're joined by a guest tonight. We've got uh, Ben Axelrod, digital producer and sports writer for WKYC Channel 3. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. So we were planning on starting off with uh, some Ohio State Buckeyes talk, but uh, maybe we can save them for the later half because... Uh, we just got some news on the uh, the Browns, uh, a little bit of breaking news here. Uh, you know, all sorts of Browns news today. Not much of it's really been good. Uh, last night on Hard Knocks, we saw Michael Kendricks, uh, the Browns linebacker, uh, free agent signing this summer. He was uh, sharing some inside info about his old team, the Eagles, in a team meeting. We saw that on Hard Knocks. Then uh, this morning we learned that uh, his, uh, he's been dabbling in uh, insider trading, uh, not just limited to football. Uh, so, uh, about 20 minutes ago, the Browns announced, uh, they have, uh, released him. Uh, it's a question that feels as, uh, familiar as a pair of old slippers. What the hell is going on in Berea? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it's so cliche to say, but like, this is so Cleveland Browns <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, now that I'm, I'm up here in Cleveland and I've been up here for, uh, a year now covering, covering the team here and there. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you're sitting in the newsroom and, and it comes across the, the Twitter timeline or what, and you know, it's bad when like your first reaction isn't shock. Like if this was, you know, the Cavs or, or the Indians, or, or if you were covering another NFL team, you'd be fairly shocked if, if one of the players and one of the team's free key, key uh, free agent signings was, uh, indicted on, insider trading charges like those are pretty that's a pretty serious white collar crime and, uh you know and then you add in that he was on hard knocks last night like literally 12 hours before this all broke literally giving insider info on the philadelphia eagles to the browns and then you factor in jimmy haslam and and his history of, of federal investigations it, it's such a cleveland brown story uh and and it makes all the sense in the world that, that this this is the team it's happening to if I told you yesterday, though, that someone on the Browns was going to get indicted for insider trading, everyone thought it was Carl Nassib, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or somebody that uh, was taking Carl Nassib's advice. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's another layer to this, though, right, is that that has been one of the, the running jokes on Hard Knocks is Carl Nassib giving this terrible advice. <laughs> All right, so, or genius advice. <laughs> well, Carl Nassib, as far as we know, is still on the right side of the bar, so I guess his advice is still good. But, uh, yeah, I think yeah. get 10% return every year on your money is great advice, considering yeah, that's if, really if, the only advice I actually gave. Yeah, if, if you can find that bank, I have more power to you. If you find that bank, please let me know, because uh, <laughs> I, I could always uh, stand up, pad the 401k a little bit. But 
Uh, anyway, no, I'm glad the, the whole hard knocks thing has come up. Ben, you mentioned something on Twitter I saw. It was either this week or last that uh, something to the effect of if you've seen one hard knocks, you've seen them all. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, this is, and I, Trev, I think this applies to you as well. Before the season, I'd never actually watched a full episode of hard knocks. I obviously knew what it was, and I've seen clips here and there over the years, but I've never sat down and actually, like, gotten into it. So, as both a lapsed Browns fan and as somebody who's never really watched this show, um, I've just found the past four weeks just fascinating. And as somebody who's been around camp, I'm just kind of wondering, like, what's your perspective on it? Uh, what have you, um, you know, are you seeing a lot of the same stuff as, as what it looks like when they're, uh, you know, showing it on Tuesday nights on HBO? Because, I mean, with reality shows, a lot of times – the way things are edited, um, you know, they're telling a story. And I'm kind of wondering if your experience around camp has been the same as what we've gotten as TV viewers. Yeah, you know, it's I, I've been watching Hard Knocks fairly religiously uh, since the, the first season since it came back, which I think was with the Chiefs in 2007. And it's pretty like all the seasons for the most part run together. Like there was a season where they did the Cowboys and, uh, you know, Tio obviously stood out in that season. And uh, there, there was the Rex Ryan season with the jets. And uh, th- there was the one scene in the dolphin season where they cut Ocho Cinco. So, so there are moments here and there, but for the moment or, or for the most part, like most of hard knocks is comprised of, what we're seeing with this Kajust storyline, right, is is it's this guy who who hardcore fan, you know, e- even the most hardcore fans hardly know anything about, and and you're following his journey to making the team. The fact that you know Kajust and and, and I guess a little bit with Nate Orchard and, and Carl Nassib starting last night, that those are really the only bottom of the roster guys that that we've been seeing. I th- I think it speaks to the intrigue of the Browns. Um, as, as far as, you know, what I've seen out at camp, the, what, what we see in, in the media being out at training camp is, is pretty boring. It's, it's, you know, it, it's practice, it's, it's on field stuff. The, the intrigue of hard knocks is that you get to see inside the team meeting rooms and, and in those personal meetings and starting with the episode, you know, next week where they go through the cuts, it used to be, you know, you'd have a cut episode the second or third episode. Now that they do the cuts all together, that's all safe for the finale. Um, that's a, it, it, it's, it, it will make you squirm at times watching these guys get released and, and seeing how they go about this. But um, it's, that's one of the cooler things is just the unprecedented access. But yeah, I mean, you know, there've been highlights there. There was the fight, you know, the quote unquote fight between Todd Haley and, and Greg Williams and um, the, the, the actual fight between Jarvis Landry and, and Terrence Mitchell. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, th- this is a team that, that has a lot of big personalities and um, you know, really for the first time in a long, time has some guys who kind of stand out as these are your faces of the Cleveland Browns. And and I think that's been reflected for the most part uh, throughout Hard Knocks. Trev, you and I have not really talked too much about Hard Knocks. Have you been keeping up with it and what have your impressions been? Yeah. So I watched, I've watched every episode sort of when it came out. Um, And and last night's, I feel like they kind of hit a wall. There was, there was a lot of like slow motion, corny montages and yeah, things that, instead that of like actual content brutal. that baker yeah. scene was brutal <laughs> the baker one and then there was one where they felt like they really had to slow down miles garrett um like smacking the i don't even know what those things are called the big the 
oversized weeble things. Um, <laughs> I, I felt like there was a little bit much of that yesterday. I'm like, okay, this is a little boring. And then today I'm like, well, this Kendrick stuff could have come out a couple of days earlier. So we had a little more to talk about yesterday. Um, I also think that it might be that, that Vitae guy, the, the tackle for the Eagles might have been pissed at Kendrick's for all that shit he said about him yesterday. And he ratted him out. I think that's possible. Um, but I, I've been Zach Ertz. <laughs> well, he, he had complimentary things to say about Ertz. He was nice to him. Um, but no, the first three episodes I've really enjoyed. Last night's, I feel like it kind of, I don't know, just it was a little slow. And I think probably like you were mentioning, Ben, they're used to having more stuff like cuts and things to fill in here than they in, in this season, obviously. Has, hasn't had quite as much. And, and quite frankly, I don't know that I have a whole lot of interest left to see could juice playing with crystals and all that crap anymore either. <laughs> I'll be honest, he's at least like quirky and weird and, and has got you know he has zero chance of making the team, right? Like it seemed like yesterday, like he's a tight end in the NFL and they were teaching him how to block. Yeah. <laughs> like this is great ball for you, right? Yeah, I kind of wonder, like, the coaching staff, if they're looking at that thinking, like, well, this guy has no shot in hell of making the team. So, yeah, go go interview him. Follow him around as much as you want. Let us actually go work with the guys that we're going to have here all year. Um, that would be kind of fascinating just to kind of see, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I At least I think personally that, you know, these guys that they've really invested the most time in. I don't really quite understand what the hook is with Nate Orchard that's gotten him so much TV time. Um I mean, he seems like a nice guy, and he's got a nice family. But I mean, he's not like a rookie. He's not. I think a long time. I think journeyman. what it is is it feels sort of like him and Nassib are are probably battling for one spot. That's certainly so the way they're both of them, so that you know there's going to be a little bit of a connection no matter what happens. Um, that's at least that's what I think with those the Kajus thing. I don't. I don't know that he. I don't know that there's any chance he makes it. Um, I will say the one person I wanted to see more of because I've kind of been anti him since he got drafted is uh, Joe Burrow Peppers. I kind of want to know what the hell they're going to do with him. Um, I've been wondering that since they drafted him, and I, I don't feel like I'm any closer to knowing, quite frankly. Those hard knocks cameras can't find him. He's, He's nowhere to be found. Husky. And he seems like a guy that he always seems like a guy, especially in college, that was really confident. Was like he want he liked being noticed, and he sort of put himself in front of the camera. Um, and I'm not sure how he has avoided it. If he's just not that interesting or what the case is, but yeah, I actually, I covered Jabril when, when I was at Bleacher Report, I covered all the big 10 there for a couple of years and would go up to inter, uh, Ann Arbor and, and interview Jabril. And, and he's an absolute delight to be around. I mean, like you said, he lights up in front of those cameras and, and he knows how to put on a show. It's been weird. Like they, they've really, you know, as far as the big names, they focused on Baker. They they focused on Tarad. Uh, they they focused on Jarvis Landry and, and Miles Garrett. And then there's been a handful of guys, you know, with with fairly, you know, you mentioned uh, Jabril. I mean, there are a handful of big names with with fairly interesting storylines. Duke Johnson, uh, Carlos Hyde, uh, the entire offensive line. I think they've been hiding purposefully from from the Hard Knocks cameras. But there's been a handful of guys who they haven't even touched on and. Um, you know, that, that's the other thing, though, about this. And, and I know this has been said out there and, and I've adopted this line, too, is it's a TV show. It's it's not a documentary. So um, for me, just as somebody who's watched Hard Knocks for, for, for 10 or 11 years now, it's been cool to see the Browns on it. But, you know, as cliche as it is, you really just have to kind of take it for what it is. 
at the same time, you're 100% right, and I totally agree with everything you're saying. At the same time, though, as somebody who has really struggled to maintain an interest level in the Browns over the last few years, um, it's done exactly what it's set out to do. I care about the Browns. I'm really excited to watch week one against Pittsburgh now. Um, I have a level of investment in them that I can't remember having uh, probably in at least three, three or four years. Um, these, I mean, oh. these last few seasons have just been absolutely brutal. And, you know, I mean, just the feeling I've had more than anything is like, you know, there are things about the sport of football that kind of make me a little uneasy at times. I mean, the more we learn about CTE and, and traumatic brain injuries and things like that, doesn't make me feel particularly great. And the NFL as a business, I have a ton of problems with. But that said, I still like watching the game and I miss having a relevant team. Like the Browns, for the longest time, even in that, that seven and nine year, I think it was at 2014 or whatever, um, maybe that's the exception of the last decade. But for the most part, it feels like they exist in a separate universe from the rest of the National Football League. And it feels like this year, like, I, I'm, I'm not saying the Browns are a playoff team. Uh, you know, my the bar is still low for my expectations, but I feel like we're at least back uh, within the same orbit. And that's that, oh. that's fun. Oh, oh, certainly. And and that's, you know, it's, it's funny because we had this, you know, we people had this ongoing debate. Is Hard Knocks too much of a distraction or is it good for the Browns? Is it bad for the Browns? It could not have come at a better time for the Browns. Like, like, like you said, they needed this just in terms of trying to find a way to, to rebrand themselves. Uh, it, you know, that, that was one thing why I had such a, a problem with the Sashi era is even if, if you throw out, you know, last season in, in 0 and 17, at, at that point, I think a lot of us were just numb to everything that was going on. He inherited a team that went three and 13. Like he, he inherited a team that had the, the second worst record in the NFL. And, and when you lump together from 2015 to 2017, it's just such a blur of bad football. It's, it's such a blur of forgettable names of, of unmemorable plays. I, I remember in 2016, they, they played, uh, it was probably a late October game against the Cowboys and they just went out there and absolutely got drilled. And, and you, all you could do is, is shrug your shoulders and it was not a competitive product on the field. Uh, I remember they got drilled by the Bengals in, in December. I mean, it was, you look at their record against the spread and, and, and a lot of the times those, those point spreads were inflated because of how bad the Browns were and they still weren't covering. Uh, it, it's been just a complete blur of bad football you know, taking aside, you know, everything since 99, just just these past three years in particular. And it has been refreshing to, to see some personalities on this team and, and some players who just by having them on your roster bring some real expectations to, to what you expect this team to accomplish. And that blur of bad football, the one from last year that sticks out to me was a game in early October against the Jets. And I remember this because I didn't mm-hmm. actually watch hardly any of it. We had my daughter's birthday party that day, so I was out running some last-minute errands, getting some balloons and whatever else. And I had the game on in the, in the car on the radio. And uh, your WKYC coworker uh, Jim Donovan, obviously doing mm-hmm. play-by-play. And I think it was like the third red zone turnover by Kaiser. Just absolutely – Jim Donovan sounded like an absolutely broken man. I felt so bad for him. And knowing, like, how early in the season it was and, like, how many more of those games he had to go through. 
Yeah, no, I, I had a, a fairly similar experience. The game they were playing the Lions, and I think they actually they, they went into halftime with a lead, but that, that was one of those games um, where or, or right before the half, you know, Deshaun let the clock run out rather than call a timeout or rather than run a play. It was one of those just what the hell are you doing moments. And I was actually in the car driving back from Columbus. Uh, I had a book signing in Columbus and I was listening to the game and, and uh, Jim, you know, it, it was one of Jim's best calls, uh, which is saying something. <laughs> and it was it was for this horrible all the wrong reasons. Moment. Yeah, and and it's just I mean that that's been this team though for the past three seasons and and probably further back than that. But yeah, I mean that that's it's funny because it, it's been so bad and and I've probably watched close to every play of it. But there are just these little moments that stick out that it, it, you think it can't go any lower, and then somehow it does. It uh, well, since you mentioned the Lions, it predates the. Um... The, the current era of futility that we're discussing here. But um, the last time before that, that they played the Lions was the game in Cleveland. And, and that that's another one that sticks out for me because that was the, the day my daughter was born. And I always remember that was also the day of the Brandon Whedon backflip. So, oh, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> you well, can pick you know, out of here, just <laughs> throw a dart at the dartboard and you're going to find some uh, some sort of on field catastrophe for the Browns. But it's a new day. It's, uh, yes. it's exciting. We have some players we can actually get excited about. Um, even aside from hard knocks, uh, who, who's kind of jumped out at you at camp and, and who's been fun to watch? You know, it, 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 it's somebody who's been featured on Hard Knocks and it, it's not, you know, a sleeper pick or anything. But I, I don't know if people realize how good Miles Garrett is going to be or, or how good he can be if he can stay healthy. Like this is you just watch the way, especially in that Eagles game last week, the way he caves an offensive line an opposing offensive line. It's just unlike anything we've seen uh, since the Browns came back. I mean, he is one of those. Other than Joe Thomas, right? The Browns haven't had that one guy who who you can pencil into the Pro Bowl every year. I mean, if Miles Garrett stays healthy, he he's going to be that type of player. He he's going to be right up there with the elite pass uh, rushers. Uh, and another guy, I'm I'm really interested to see how this season goes for Jarvis Landry because I think you know from a talent standpoint. He is so much better than any other receiver the the Browns have had, other than Josh Gordon, I guess you could say. Really, since Josh Gordon, you know, last played a relatively full season in in 2013. But um, you know, he's also not Antonio Brown. He's not Odell Beckham Jr. He'll, he'll have those games where he has nine catches for like 87 yards. It's going to be just interesting to see. I think you know whether his talent is so refreshing that he's the most popular player the Browns have had since they came back, or if he doesn't live up to an unrealistic expectation from the fans, you know, how does that play, you know, in in a town where, let's be honest, we're pretty quick to to turn on players, especially where they have, when they have big contracts. And, And also you look at his personality, if the losses do start to add up, how does he handle that? Um, so, so really, I mean, yeah, Miles Garrett and, and Jarvis Landry, just those guys have kind of emerged other than the quarterbacks to me as as really the faces of this team. Trav, who's been jumping out to you so far and what we've gotten to see from the uh, the fans' perspective here? Um, I would say, truthfully, I've been a little bit skeptical when they traded for him of Jarvis Landry just because of what uh, Ben kind of alluded to. He's, not, he's, 
he, he catches a lot of balls, but it doesn't necessarily always seem to translate into a whole lot, a whole lot of short stuff that doesn't isn't particularly exciting. And I don't know that it's necessarily um, the the way you want your number one receiver to play in, in this type of NFL that we're in right now. Um, but that said, as as a leader, it seems like he's been doing all the right things, and it doesn't really seem. Um, it, it seems like they're probably getting what they expect out of him, and we'll have, we'll have to wait and see what we see on the field, obviously. But um, I've liked what I've seen from him so far. Miles Garrett's been sort of an animal, obviously, and that's that's sort of the easy one as well. Um, I think in general, he's. I'm not sure if I expected him to look this dominant this quickly. Um, Last year, obviously, he had spurts of it, and some injuries and things sort of slowed him down. If he can, if he can stay healthy, I think we could probably see the guy that we thought we were drafting maybe a little bit earlier than I even expected to see him. Quite honestly. All right. So trouble with uh, being recognized by Brad Paisley aside, um, <laughs> you know, Ben, we see uh, Joel Petonio getting moved over to left tackle, and when that move was announced, there was all sorts of hand-wringing and a lot of people up in arms wondering what's going on with the Browns line. I, I mean, obviously, it's it's still the preseason here, and you know, defenses are going to be kind of vanilla in what they're throwing at them, but I feel like that has been kind of a non-issue since that move was initially announced, and if you're an offensive lineman, being anonymous is probably the best thing you can be um you kind of get in the sense that that's that's working out well yeah and and i think it was it it, it was the right move even if it, it probably wasn't the right process um I, I think the one thing that was surprising about all of this was that that they entered camp with Sean Coleman as the the number one left tackle. And I'm, I'm surprised they didn't do more in the off season to, to shore that up. Um, you know, granted it was a, not a good tackle draft, at, at least at the top of the draft. And it was not, uh, you know, they made a big run at Nate Solder and, and they didn't get him. So, so they, you know, they tried to, they, they just didn't really accomplish finding a, a, a top level left tackle to, to bring into camp. But yeah, I mean, I think Joel Batonio is doing fine. I, I think with your, the depth at guard and uh, what they've invested in guard between, you know, uh, Kevin Zeitler and, and using a high pick on Austin Corbett, um, you know, they, they can afford to, to shift Joel Batonio out to, to left tackle. And even if he's a better guard than he would be tackle, uh, you know, left tackle is such a, a more important position that to have your, your best offensive lineman, playing that position. I, I, I think that's fine. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand the hand wringing because I don't think they followed a, a very strong process, but as long as they, they, they got there and as long as they, they got those best five linemen on the field, um, I, I think it's fine. And, and you're in a position now where if, if this works out with Joel Batonio, uh, you might have to give him a raise after the season um, or, or find a way to rework that contract, or you can go out and, and use your first round pick or, or use your economy's work worth of cap space uh on on a premier left tackle if it gets to that point it's a good problem to have right Ben, i'll ask you since you said you've watched all the hard knocks in all of the seasons you've watched have you ever seen a less inspiring inspirational speech than whatever uh brad paisley delivered yeah that that was (laughs) i I, if i was hbo i might have just left that on the cutting room floor um that that was I mean, I get why they why they went with it, and and I guess I can understand why you know. But Brad, 
Paisley's like this dynamic performer. Um, I guess I, yeah, I was surprised he, all he had for, for the guys was go get him and, and win it for <laughs> Cleveland. But, uh, yeah, he, he, he got to go into the RV. He got to break the team down. So, you know, I'm, I'm guessing like 80% of that roster doesn't know who Brad Paisley is. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Cause he didn't seem to know 80% of the roster either. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get to this. You know, one guy who is uh, certainly a lot more recognizable, Baker Mayfield. Um, what uh, what have you made of what we've seen from him so far, Ben? Yeah, you know, I I was not a Baker Mayfield guy going into the draft. I enjoyed watching him in college. He just wasn't, you know, to me, it was the Browns finally had the number one pick in, in a QB heavy draft. Just go get, you know, I wanted Sam Darnold. I, I wanted the guy who looked the part. I wanted the guy who just fit the the profile of that franchise quarterback. Um, Baker has completely, obviously exceeded my expectations. He looks so much more comfortable back there. He, he looks like he belongs back there. And then just from a personality standpoint, I, I had some questions, you know, just about how that personality of his would play in a locker room um, with, with guys who are older than him and, and guys, you know, where he's not the big man on campus per se anymore. But, but there is something just magnetic about him where, where his teammates gravitate toward him. Um, and, and we've seen that, you know, dating back to as soon as they drafted him. So uh, I, I really, at this point, you know, some of the stuff, you know, the, the Colin Cowherd interview and wearing the walk-on sweatshirt and, and all of that stuff, you know, I could do without, but, but that just might be me getting a little bit older and, and having gone through the Johnny Manziel experience. But, um, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about Baker Mayfield at, at this point and time will tell if it was the right pick or not, but if he winds up being this team's franchise franchise quarterback in the long run, right. That's all that really matters. Your pre-draft uh, opinions certainly sound uh, very similar to Trav. <laughs> Travis, uh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not quite as sold, I don't think. But I will say I've I've shifted, um, I, I've shifted from draft night. I will say that. Yeah, that's I. There's there's a video of me watching the draft, and I just because it came out of nowhere. It, it was you know. Uh, up until that day, really, we hadn't heard anything about Baker Mayfield being the number one pick. And so it, the, the fact that it was such a rush and that we had so little time, I think, to talk ourselves into it leading up to the draft. Um, I, I get it. And I understand the skepticism. And um, but but, yeah, I mean, just from an on field standpoint, I, I do think he's been impressive. It's hard to decipher too much from a preseason game, especially when you're going up against second and third stringers. Mm-hmm. But I've been pretty excited just with, I mean, the little things that you see out of him. He just, he, he's got a presence in the pocket. He, you could see him working through progressions. You could see him getting out of trouble and buying himself time and keeping his eyes down the field and throwing strikes to guys on the sideline when he's on the run. Um, just things that I don't feel like I've seen from the parade of, dumpster fires they've had under center for the last 15 or 20 years um so like you said about you know watching him in college he was one of my favorite college quarterbacks to watch and I, I mean I was super into him as a college QB but I also liked watching Johnny Manziel at A&M and right the hard way uh very very quickly when he played for the Browns um so yeah I was uh I, I don't know if skeptical but uh hesitant to buy in um, but, uh, just watching him play, it, it's been fun. It's been encouraging. And, you know, the other thing I feel like the hard knocks cameras and 
you know, it's kind of become a recurring uh, theme for us here in this whole discussion, but, uh, you know, keep coming back to that show, but the cameras have been pretty kind to him. They, they've, they've portrayed him pretty well, I feel like, and I don't see things, at least on there, that are making me, you know, kind of stop and say, uh-oh, what are we getting into here with this guy? Right, and and that's, I mean, I, I think Hard Knocks, in, in judging by the amount of screen time that, that he's getting on this, uh, I, I think they very clearly went into this thing wanting to, to make him a star or, or make him one of the stars of the show. The, the other encouraging thing is, is, you know, let's just be honest, like, I don't really know what I'm watching out there. <laughs> like, I don't know what, you know, I, I can't break down guard play. I, I can't tell you, you know, the, the intricacies of, of what Baker Mayfield does. But the people who do, and, and not just Browns fans who break down film, but like the independent people who break down film, they really seem to like what Baker Mayfield's doing. And, and so when they talk about all that stuff and his ball placement and, and all that, I, I can follow along. But but the people who seem in, in I mean, look, in, in today's day and age, there are there are thousands of blowhards talking about football and breaking down films. But but the ones who, you know, seem to put a lot of time and, and energy into this, they, they seem to like what Baker Mayfield's doing. So that's, you know, that's really all I can go off of. And uh, it's not one of those things where uh, with with some of the guys the Browns have drafted, like like, you know, Corey Coleman, where the advanced analytics guys are like, no, he's getting open. He's he should be making plays. It's like I I know what I'm watching out there. He's dropping balls in the end zone. But uh, what what my eyes are seeing and and what the guys who watch film uh, are saying, they, they seem to align. That's so weird you mentioned Corey Coleman because, like, on the one hand, I feel like this training camp is flying by with, and it's hard to believe that, you know, we're getting the season finale of Hard Knocks uh, next week. And at the same time, the Corey Coleman trade feels like it was about five years ago. A lot of yeah. stuff happening in, out there. <laughs> yeah, that that's the Browns. And that's, I, I feel like this offseason has drug. And, and I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's because of 0 16. I don't know if that's because, of, of hard knocks or a combination or, or just cause it's the Browns, but like, I'm just ready for the opener. Like I, I feel like training camp opened a decade ago at this point. I'm with you. All right. What do you say we shift uh, gears and talk a little bit of Ohio state? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So you have been down in Columbus a couple times this month, Trev, you and I have uh, this entire thing with uh, Zach Smith and urban Meyer and, and the whole uh, imbroglio down there has basically unfolded in the entire the entirety of it has pretty much been while we've been on hiatus and I don't think either one of us has been in a real hurry to jump on here and talk about it because um you know it, this is a hobby for us and, and we like to talk about fun things for the most part and there hasn't been a whole lot of fun um Ben I'll just ask you I mean I, I don't want to dwell on this for too long but you know where, where are things at or are we is this still going to be an ongoing issue or um are, are we out of the woods here what, what's going on from you know from like an urban Meyer Ohio State standpoint I I think we're out of the woods like he has a three-game suspension and uh he'll be back coaching the team in practice after the first game and like right now at the very least we have like parameters for for what his what his punishment is and and gene smith is suspended uh and and like we know what ohio state found the the tricky part and why this thing feels like it's not going to go away is one that investigation still left a lot of unanswered questions. 
especially when it comes to Urban Meyer's deleted text messages and, and you know, what was in there and why did he delete them and, and all of that. And, and maybe that's just something we'll never know and, and it will go away and Ohio State will win the Big Ten this year and, and this will just be, you know, a, a, a small blemish on, on Urban Meyer's legacy or a bigger blemish, how, however you want to look at it. The other wild card, and, and it's almost like quite literally a wild card, is Zach Smith uh, is is out there. He he went on a Twitter rampage today. Uh, his family, uh, Earl Bruce's, the the late Earl Bruce's family, uh, they've seemed to turn on Urban Meyer because obviously Urban Meyer, you know, is distance, distancing himself now from Zach Smith. Uh, the fact that Zach Smith is out there and, and what he potentially knows about Ohio State and what he knows about the program and Urban Meyer, that's all still, you know, from an Ohio State perspective, it's it's still a threat. It's still dangerous. But yeah, I mean, right now we are out of the woods. But but as long as Zach Smith is out there and talking, this is still going to be a story. Trev, I want to put you on the spot here because you tweeted something that I thought was really interesting. Like shortly after. Oh, there's no way that was me. <laughs> it was. I got the receipts. No, it was shortly after the the news initially broke on this. So I mean, we're going back several weeks now. But when we were still in that initial phase of everyone just trying to process what we were learning and as the story was coming out and something you had said was it was interesting to see the difference in the reaction between people who went to Ohio State and people who are just fans of Ohio State. You're somebody who attended Ohio State. I'm wondering if you still feel that way after more of this has come out and we've learned more of what's happened here and we've had, we've all had kind of time to digest this and um, just kind of what you meant by all that. Cause I thought that was, yeah. Really so thing I, I think, and this is truthfully, this is mostly based on my fairly small network of people that I know personally. I'm not talking necessarily the, you know, overall reaction that i see all across the twitterverse i just mean people that i personally happen to know either that i know either went there or just happen to be casual fans you know and i do think there is a distinct difference between how people view um ohio state based on their relationship to it um but it seemed like when it first broke the people that were sort of immediately outraged and were extreme on one side or the other. Either Urban's got to go, can him, get rid of everybody, they're all the worst. Um, or the people that were on the exact opposite end saying, oh, he did nothing wrong, this is this is a made-up story, it's a witch hunt, this, that, and the other thing. That seemed to be sort of mostly the, you know, the casual fan who lives in Ohio and roots for Ohio State, but doesn't have any actual affiliation to the university. While of the people that I'm close with my friends that I went to college with and who I know, you know, have uh, a little more connection to the university than the average person were for the most part laying back saying, well, I don't know that there's anything here that leads me one way or another. Um, I kind of want to see what's going to happen. I'm glad they're investigating. I want to know what, what the details are and then I'll reach my conclusion at that point. Now, since then, it seems like there aren't a whole lot of people that are in the middle anymore. Um, and the general consensus, and I will say it's for people that have zero connection to Ohio state fan or alumni or whatever. Um, those folks seem to be 
almost unanimously in agreement that um, Urban Meyer needs to be fired and he is this scumbag of a guy and he's, he's the worst thing in the world. And the, anyone who has any sort of connection whatsoever to the university is now sort of extreme on the other side. Um, I don't, I guess I kind of know where I fall. I don't want to, I, my biggest concern with how I express myself towards it is that I always end up feeling like I sound like a Homer. So, so I've tried to sort of, um, toe lightly around where I personally stand. I do think the media coverage in general, um, particularly the loudest voice in the conversation has been, um, painfully irresponsible with the way that he's reported a lot of these things. Um, so I'm not, I, I think that has sort of pulled a cloud over the whole thing almost as much as the actual allegations themselves have. All right, Ben, what, what do you do with a story like this? And I mean, cause this is not covering football and, uh, scouting reports and, and previewing, you know, Saturday afternoons game. I mean, you're getting into, you know, some, some deep and ugly waters here. And, you know, I, I would agree that, um, there are certain reporters who have done themselves no favors, uh, and I just kind of wonder your perspective and, and how you've tried to approach uh, this story and, and how, you know, your station has. Yeah, it, it's it's strange because, like, it's probably not something I'm qualified to report on. Like, it's not something I there are a lot of legal issues there. There are um, and, and not just me for for sports reporters like this. Is, like you said, these are not game previews. These are not position breakdowns that there, there are not. um you know, when, when you, this is something that happens, you know, this could happen once in my lifetime and, and it will be, be the only time I cover a story like this. It's, it's nothing I have experience with and it's might not be anything I have experience with again. And it's obviously a, a very messy, um, situation on, on both sides. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, like Trev was saying that there was, you know, obviously when it all comes out, it, it's all, it's also shocking. It's also jarring that, that I, I think you can't help but but form opinions and form, you know, biases. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, for the most part, like there were a lot of Ohio State fans at the beginning of all this who had a lot of issues with Urban Meyer. And, and then as it went on and after Urban released his statement, you know, then then you start to talk yourself back into it and say, well, he only lied to the media. Uh, that That's not a big deal. I, I think, you know, once. Once kind of the smoke cleared and, and Urban went on leave, it the way I tried to handle it was I was just going to let the investigation play out. And, and I would provide, you know, any relevant updates as they, they became public. But I was just going to let this investigation play out. And, and I think that was that was the approach of a lot of my my colleagues who cover Ohio State full time that, that they ultimately took. Uh, I actually think, you know, the Ohio State beat. Uh, there, I mean, there are some homers on the beat and, and there are some some websites that, that make no apologies about being homers. But I think as a whole, um, you know, people like Doug LaMaurice and, and Bill Landis and, and Ari Wasserman and um, uh, the, the people who cover this and have been covering it for a long time, I, I think they've done a, a, a really fair job reporting this. And, and that's ultimately, I think what they did was let the investigation play out. Um I think if you look at the investigation, you can draw whatever conclusion you want. And, and that goes for Ohio State, too. And, and you could say Ohio State had cause to fire him. And you could say Ohio State didn't necessarily, while they could have fired him, they also weren't in a position where they needed to. But I do think the reason 
that you're seeing the backlash toward Urban Meyer at this point isn't just because of the investigation, but because of that press conference. Um, it, it was, you know, one of the lowest professional moments of his career. It, for, for people who had preconceived notions about Urban Meyer from his time at Florida and all through this, I, I think it confirmed a lot of their their theories on him and, and their opinions on him. Um, and, and it's, you know, I'm I'm conflicted about it because it, it was a terrible performance. It, it was a terrible showing from him, I thought. But I also understood why it happened. Um, and, and then just from a human element, I mean, I grew up 15 minutes from Ohio stadium. I, I went to Ohio state. Uh, I covered Ohio state for, for the first six years of my career full time. Um, I, Ohio state means a lot to me. I mean, there, there's no way around it. And, and that's left me conflicted about a lot of this, but yeah, I mean, this has been the messiest story I've covered in my career. And, and probably a lot of my colleagues would say the same. And then you get into stuff today, like, like Zach Smith's Twitter tirade. And it's just, it, 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 it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. I just want to have a quick aside here for a second in that I didn't want to cut you off, but the very first thing you said in your answer there was you came right out and acknowledged that you felt like you were out of your element on this. And, mm -hmm. and, um, just to somebody who you know still works in the media, not I don't do sports media per se, um, but you know was just a fellow journalist. You know, is my day job. A tremendous amount of respect for you to just come right out and say that first, because you know, acknowledging that and and you know being straightforward, saying like, hey, this is hard stuff. This is not what I normally am writing about. Um, you know, I, I feel like th there can be a a tendency for some people to want to try to to fudge it or you know get get by and you know talk their way through these things and you know when you start getting into certain elements of reporting if you're you know in over your head you can end up looking very bad very quickly um so i just i think there's something to be said for being transparent and just saying like hey i you know it's you know this is not what i normally do um so just from one scribe to another, I, I take my hat on that. That's that's good stuff. But um, well, you know, well, we still got you here. I mean, I, does anybody want to talk about this part of this? You know, with any any more, or have we kind of covered everything we need to say? Because I actually have some football questions. Uh, yeah, let's get to the football. <laughs> yeah, All right, yeah, I didn't think I'd get a lot of resistance on that. Um, for the first time, and it feels like uh, I don't know since I was in college. Um, JT Barrett not going to be the quarterback anymore for Ohio State. We're finally going to see uh, somebody else under center. Um, so Dwayne Haskins, he's the uh, the new starting quarterback. Do I have that right? Yes. All right. What do I need to know about Dwayne Haskins? He he has probably as high or higher of an upside of any Ohio State quarterback they've had in a long time. Um, I mean, he, this is a guy who could be a legitimate NFL quarterback. He, he has the body type for it. He has the skill set. I do, you know, fans are very excited about him. And, and I think it's because they're, you know, we, we've seen JT Barrett now for, for, it feels like two decades. Um, and, and for to have a starting quarterback for, for what was essentially four years, that is a long time. And, and JT obviously had his limitations. I, I do caution fans just because, 
Dwayne Haskins is still raw. He's still young. He's he's only a redshirt sophomore. Uh, there are going to be those those mistakes that he's going to make. But yeah, I mean, th- this is a guy to 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 be excited about, and um, who who you know I think is really going to have an interesting year or two here in Columbus to to uh, kind of change the way we look at what an Ohio State quarterback is capable of. I think when he came in in the Michigan game last year too, that was sort of set up a lot right. of this frenzy. Obviously, they'd they'd sort of seen him in garbage time, and no one really knew what to expect. And they, he came in into a tight game, biggest game of the year, obviously up to that point, um, and didn't seem like a guy who was getting the first meaningful snaps of his career. Um, so it's sort of. Uh, I think just snowballed on him over the course of the off season. Uh, like you said, he's got all the tools. He looks, he's probably the most like prototypical looking quarterback that they've had in hell. I don't even know. Cause the, I mean, the, the guys that have been really good quarterbacks have been, you know, Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller, guys like that, who as good as they are and as talented as they are, aren't necessarily, you know, your prototypical type quarterback. So I think, people are sort of excited to see what he can do in in this offense. And it it should be a little different than I think what we've seen over the last hell, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Well, it's been JT Barrett for that entire 10 or 15 years, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. Trev, who else has got you excited on this Ohio state roster? I'm really excited to see chase young. He's been, he was a guy that I remember hearing in the spring of his freshman year, um, reports from people like that were covering the team that said if he entered the draft without playing a single down of college football, he'd have a hell of a chance of being a first round pick. Um, <laughs> and he, their defensive line has been routinely loaded. Like it's, it's far and away, I think their best unit year in year out. A lot of it has to do with how they recruit, and a lot of it has to do with Larry Johnson, and the two aren't necessarily um, mutually exclusive. Um, but by all accounts, having Chase Young and Nick Bose on the defensive line is going to be an absolute nightmare for um, whatever offensive line they happen to be going against. And it's not just those two. They really do have seven or eight guys that they can cycle in and out. So um, while we we lost Denzel Ward, obviously, and it's going to be interesting to see who that sort of uh, heir apparent is after we've had, you know, top uh, first round quality guys in that number one cornerback slot, the pressure that they're going to be able to get on the quarterback, I think almost at will is going to make those guys jobs a lot easier too. And that's just on the defensive side. I mean, there's a lot of offensive guys who I think um, we're all fairly familiar with um, the Paris Campbell, JK Dobbins, Mike Weber, all those guys. I think it'll be interesting to see sort of who fills in and takes um, if there's any really young guys that are, that are new and really jump in and make a, an immediate impact or not. Cause obviously last year it was JK Dobbins. I don't know if, I don't know if there's enough carries for um, the other guys that are around. Ben, what else do I need to know about Ohio state football? I mean, this is probably, so you go to that 2015 roster, which was the year after the national title. And that was the team with, with Joey Bosa and, and Mike Thomas and, and Ezekiel Elliott and, uh, Cardale Jones, that was probably their best, like starting lineup that they've had. Maybe their most talented, you know, uh, one through 22 roster that they've had. This is probably urban Meyer's best one through 85 he's had at Ohio state and, and maybe in his whole career, like the talent on this roster 
and it's been that way, you know, like on a few units, obviously there was the year at quarterback and like Trev said, year in and year out, the defensive line is, it's, it's just laughable how much talent they have on it. But like almost every position they, they are stacked with, with four and five star recruits. Um, I mean, this is pretty much now an Alabama roster, like in, in terms of recruiting, this is urban Meyer at, at the peak of his powers. Uh, it, it, you know, it's funny because in recruiting, you would expect you win a national title and, and then the payoff is immediate. The This is really, you know, they're just now experiencing that boost on the roster from from the recruiting bump they got from that that 2014, 2015 run. So just, you know, there's a reason like even though they, they have a new starting quarterback, even though urban is, is dealing with, with, with what he's dealing with, there's a reason this team is obviously still being talked about as, as a legitimate national title contender. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the talent on this team, I think is just going to be so overwhelming that it's really going to be something that's special to watch. And then, just in terms of that talent, I mean, I'm excited to watch Nick Bosa because that guy is, he's probably going to be the number one or number two pick next year. And, and I still feel like we still haven't truly watched him because of how, how much they rotate on that defensive line. So uh, that's been the weird thing about the Urban Meyer era at Ohio State is, is it felt like we used to, you know, like A.J. Hawk would come to Ohio State and we'd watch him develop for four years and we'd watch him blossom into this first round pick. Now these guys, they either get to campus and we know they're going to be a future first round pick like Nick Bosa or, or, or like Chase Young. Or, you know, it's it's like a Malik Hooker or, or a, a Marshawn Lattimore where they just come out of nowhere. So um, it, it, it's really a different era of Ohio State football. But but yeah, I mean, this is this is an Urban Meyer roster when when he has this thing chugging along but let me ask you really quick i've been looking at sort of just general predictions across the board um i'm stunned at how many people aren't picking ohio state to win the big 10 um because personally i think right now as far as talent goes there's ohio state alabama and clemson and then there's everybody else like they're so far ahead of everybody in the conference they've been winning it year in and year out um I can't think of any other reason that uh, people are sort of selling on them right now other than the Urban Meyer stuff. How much impact do you think that will actually have? I I don't think it will have that much of an impact, especially because he'll be back, you know, in in a practice – um, he'll, he'll be back at practice after the first game. So they, they just really have to get past, uh, you know, this Saturday and they're going to be a, a, a 38 point favorite on Saturday. I mean, that they'll get past this week and then they'll have urban Meyer out there to, to game plan for TCU, which is one of those games on, on the schedule. And, and even if they lose to TCU at that point, you know, then you have less room for error, but if you win the big 10 and, and, do it with with just one loss on your resume or, or maybe even two losses you're still probably getting into the playoffs so um yeah i mean that it, it was interesting because when i covered all of the big 10 it was when jim harbaugh came to michigan and and he obviously started off with a bang in recruiting but you just looked at the way at the, the way that urban was recruiting and it just seemed like it was insurmountable it, it seemed like urban had too much of a head start and i think that's almost what we're seeing where Jim Harbaugh's not not closing that gap on Urban Meyer. You know, Urban's widening it in terms of recruiting and and as a byproduct, the 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 on field product. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't I'm I'm surprised because if I was going to look at the way the the playoff comes 
together, you know, I, I more times than not, the big 10 champion is, is going to be in. And if you're going to look at who that big 10 champion is going to be, you know, I, I don't know how you could go against Ohio state at this point. All right. I have to ask you a way too early question. <laughs> it feels like every year for the most part, you're going to see Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, um, you know, there are these teams that seem to be in the playoff or, or knocking on the door every single year. I'm ready to see somebody new in the playoff who has not made it. In, in, what, what have we had now, four or five years of the, of the playoff system? I, yeah, this will be the fourth, yeah. What is the best – what team in the country that has not previously made the college football playoff has the best chance of breaking in this year? Mm. Like that, it's tough because like Clemson, I, I think has such a clear lead in the ACC. But I do think what Mark Richt is doing at Miami is pretty impressive. Um, I I don't know if I, they still might be a year away, and and I don't I don't know if I love Malik Rozier to to be the guy who knocks off Clemson, but. Um, I, I could see a scenario. I mean, Miami almost made the playoff last year, so so I could see them. Um, you know, it's funny because we're talking about Ohio State. Uh, I, I don't trust Ed Orgeron, but but I do like Joe Burrow as LSU's quarterback. I, I think he's one of the better quarterbacks that they've had in a long, long time, and, and I'm actually excited to watch him out there on the field. Uh, I don't think LSU has made the playoff yet, so uh, I guess LSU and Miami, and, and they play this weekend, but uh, I, I don't know if those are the two teams I think it will be, but I, but I guess if I had to say those are the two teams I hope it would be, it'd probably be them. Trev, do you want to throw one out there for me to uh, keep an eye on this year? Everybody seems to be extremely high on Washington. Um, I'm not sure I'm buying that, so I'll, I'll throw one out there that, that I think people are probably getting a little too hyped about. Um, They've made the playoff before, but I'll let it slide because they're, uh, yeah, they're no really, they a one and done. Yeah, no one really remembers that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if um, I know people are extremely high on Wisconsin. I think they'll have to beat Ohio State, obviously. In my opinion, they'll probably have to beat Ohio State. But I think their schedule lines up pretty well because they don't have to play them during the regular season. Um, and people seem incredibly high on them. Uh, they're another one that I, don't, I just don't think they have the quarterback. And I think um, they're going to be incredibly one-dimensional on offense. Um, their offensive line obviously is really good. And Jonathan Taylor had an awesome freshman season, but he's, he's going to be facing eight in the box every single down probably this year. I'm not sure that he's going to, um, get off the way that he did last year. So I don't know about that one. All right. Well, I'm very excited to have the college football season in full swing this weekend. It's always a good time of the year and, uh, ready to get the full slate rocking here. Um, Ben, this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. He is at Ben Axelrod on Twitter. Ben, you got anything you want to plug before we let you out of here? No, that that's it. Uh, yeah, Ben Axelrod on Twitter, WKYC.com. And, and yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, giving me a plug and the three sports podcast uh, that I do with, with our friend uh, Craig Lindell. So, yeah, that, that's about it, though. Yeah, looking forward to another one uh, with, with you guys. There. I always enjoy listening to those. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll be recording sometime soon. Yeah, I think we got one coming tomorrow, actually, so so it shouldn't be too long. Perfect. All right, well, as for us, as always, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, and we're also on TuneIn, and you could stream us on WaitingForNextYear.com. Our thanks again to Ben Axelrod for joining us. 
And uh, Trev, what do you say we don't wait another full month before we record another one of these? Yes, we'll actually have sports to talk about here pretty soon, so I think we'll be able to fill in a little bit more here these days. It's a good thing. I like talking about sports. All right. So on that note, for Travis Shuley, I am Tom Valentino. It's been the nail of the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.